Very good. Amen. Take your Bibles this morning and turn to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. We're getting close to Christmas, and even though the weather honestly doesn't really feel that much like it, I was looking, at, looking ahead at the weather. It's supposed to rain this whole week, but you know we're setting up the auditorium here for Christmas on Wednesday. It's supposed to be 65 degrees on Wednesday. It just doesn't feel like Christmas when it's 65 degrees outside, but uh, I don't know. I think I'd still rather have uh, uh, Christmas lights on palm trees than uh, tons of snow. I don't know, but uh, Luke chapter 14. And I want to read to you a, a little passage here this morning. I, I think it's probably a, a, a story that you've read before. This is one of the parables that Jesus is telling in Luke chapter 14 and verse number 15. And he says this, and when one of them that sat at meat with him heard these things, he said unto him, blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then said he unto them, a certain man made a great supper and bade many and sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, come for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I've bought a piece of ground. I must needs go and see it. Who buys a piece of ground without looking at it first? But this guy did, apparently. I pray thee, have me excused, he said. Verse 19. And another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. Who buys a yoke of oxen without proving them first? Right? But that was his excuse. I pray thee, have me excused. Verse 20. And another said, I've married a wife. And I got to go see what she looks like. No, he didn't say that, but <laughs> I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and showed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house being angry said to his servant, go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. And the servant said, Lord, it, it is done as thou hast commanded. And yet there is room. And the Lord said unto the servant, go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. I think in, in a lot of different factions, you'll hear about what's known as the five W's. Information gathering, whether it's for problem solving or just getting information or whatever, whether it's an, you know, investigative journalism or research or forensics, right? Those, those questions have to be answered if you're going to get to the bottom of something. And according to the principle of the five W's, a report can only be considered complete when those five questions are answered. Who, what, where, when, and how. It's interesting that all of these questions are going to have a factual answer. None of them can be answered with a simple yes or no. Who, what, where, when, why. I said how. Why is what I meant. But I believe that's exactly what we have here in Luke chapter 14 in verse number 23. All of these questions can be asked and they can all be answered by this verse that Jesus gives us in this parable. A parable, you remember, is an uh, earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Jesus would tell a story, use a parable to make application to our daily lives. And he's certainly liking those who are invited to those that we invite to his house today. And they come up with all kinds of excuses about why they cannot be there. Uh, why they can't come to church, why they can't get saved, why they can't accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. A lot of people will come up with excuses. A lot of people are just going to out and out refuse, like the guy, I married a wife, I can't come. That's not an excuse. He, just, he was looking for anything. He was just grasping at straws of why he couldn't come. But Jesus tells them to go anyway. He wants his house to be filled. Lots of people will be invited. Men of means, we see here. Men who obviously had money, but yet there was still room in his house after each of these men came up with an excuse. And so this morning, I want to look at the five W's as it relates to this verse, as they relate to getting the gospel out to this world. 
Let's pray, and then we'll look at these things and answer these questions this morning if we can. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you for an opportunity to be here in your house this morning. Thank you so much for allowing us to be here. Thank you so much for giving us the privilege of being able to gather around your word. Pray that you'd help us to never take that for granted. God, I pray that you'd give us something from your word this morning that'll be a help to us, that'll be an encouragement to us to continue to spread the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you for all that you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Around Christmas time, people think more about death and dying. And, and by the way, did you know that more people take their own lives in the Christmas season than at any other time of the year? People are hurting. People are lonely. They need an answer. They need Jesus Christ. And boy, we have that answer. We know what it is that they need. And this is a great time, a great time of year for us to take that opportunity to share Jesus Christ with them. But we find this here, and of course the first, first question that we ask in the five W's is the who. Now I hate to put you through a grammar test or a grammar lesson this morning, but your teacher always told you that you were going to need it someday, and now here she was right after all those years, right? Uh, let's keep it simple though. What is the subject of this sentence that we find here in verse number 23? Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in. It's the word you, right? When you don't have a subject that is a, a specific subject, then there's an understood you. And there's a lot of people who want to push that responsibility off onto somebody else, right? This verse is talking to the servant in this passage, which Jesus was clearly showing us and indicating is all of us. We are his servants. It is our responsibility. You go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in. We have a responsibility to share the gospel. That means we ought to be giving money to be able to send missionaries around the world. That means we ought to be doing everything we can to support church planters in the United States. By the way, if we don't support church planters in the United States, eventually there's not going to be churches enough to send missionaries around the world. That's already what we're seeing. It used to be that a missionary would be on deputation for a year, year and a half, two years. Now the average time for a missionary to be on deputation is three or four years. Raising money to try to be able to go to a foreign field for four years. Not that they can't be effective in the United States, but God's called them to go there and spread the message of the gospel and it takes them four years to get there. A, a lot of the problem is that most of our churches are so tiny they can't even support missionaries. The other problem is people have lost the desire to support missionaries. And then the other problem is that there's less churches than there ever has been in this country that can actually support those missionaries. But that means we have to get behind those that are trying to do those things. And that means we should walk outside the door and tell those around us that they need Jesus Christ as their Savior. It's interesting that Jesus was so personal in this story. It doesn't say, and the Lord said unto the people, go out into the highways and hedges. It says, he said unto the servant. He was giving the command specifically to him. I think that happens a lot in a church service. You know, if I don't say, Brian, you need to get right with God, then Brian thinks I'm talking to somebody else, Right? And I, I'm, I'm not going to call somebody out in a service and say, hey, this message is for you. I don't, I don't ever preach a message for one person. If, if, if I'm putting a message together and you feel like you're getting hit between the eyes, God did that. I don't put a message together for one person because as soon as I do that, that person's not going to be there in church and now I'm going to be floundering for something to say, right? I preach what God wants me to preach and I let God do the work in the hearts of those people that need the work done in their hearts. But sometimes if we don't get specific, we think that, God, that, that these verses or that the message is for everybody else, right? But it, uh, at, least, at least we don't take it personally. But here Jesus is talking to each of us as his servants. And he said unto Bill, go out into the highways and hedges, right? He said unto Kevin, go out into the highways and hedges. He said unto the pastor, go out into the highways and hedges. 
Put your name in there because he's talking to you in this passage. Who is he talking to? You. Well, what's the second question then? It's what? What? You can only have an understood you as the subject of a sentence when you have a command. So what is the command? We're going to test your grammar knowledge even more. Do you remember what a compound subject or a compound verb is? Right? That's when you have two or more things that are being named. Now, we don't have a compound subject. We have one subject, and that is you. But here we do have a compound verb. That is two or more verbs being joined by and and having the same subject. So the what in our five W's is that we are commanded to go and compel. Look what he says in verse number 23. Go out into the highways and hedges and compel. That's the compound verb. That is the what in this command. The word go is pretty easy to understand. You cannot be going if you're sitting on the couch. You can't be going if you're not moving. Missionaries cannot be going to foreign fields if we're not funding them and sending them. But that's the same thing that we're commanded to do in Mark chapter 16 and verse 15. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now, obviously, we cannot personally go to every part of the world and preach the gospel to every creature. There's over 8 billion people in the world now. It'd be impossible for us to do that. But we can do everything that we can to send missionaries out to those places, right? We sent Nitin out. Boy, what a great thing it's seen. Nitin's led 14 or 15 people to Christ since he's been in India for the last two or three weeks. What a tremendous thing that is. I, I, there's some pictures out there in the foyer on the, on the prayer list that he sent uh, the prayer letter that he sent uh, last week, but some pictures of their, their, their opening service. They had 75 people in that opening service. They had 45 people in their morning service. They were able to go this week, and remember, he had talked about the, the, the hope that he could go into some of these villages and get a couple different churches started that he would be able to go to during the week. He was able to go out on Thursday this week into one of those villages, and they had 25 people that were there that he was able to preach to. That's a tremendous thing. That's how, we're, that's how we spread the message of the gospel to the rest of the world. There's 1.3 billion people in India. Nitin can't reach all those people. He can try. He can give out the gospel. But 14 or 15 people being led to Christ is a far cry from 1.3 billion. We need to send more missionaries. We need, to, we need to get more funding to those missionaries to go. We're commanded to do that. Sometimes go is hard to do because it's an inconvenience at times. Right? Does it mesh with our lives or our personalities or the things that we have set up that we want to do with our lives? But it's a command nonetheless, and it's something that we should adjust our plans to do. There's no clause that gives us a way out if we don't feel like doing it, if we're busy, if we're shy, if we're unwilling. There is no clause that says, well, if you don't like it, then you don't have to do it. He says, go and compel. That word go is pretty easy to understand. The word compel may be a little bit more complicated. According to Webster's Dictionary, that word compel means this, to drive or urge with force or irresistibly, to constrain, to oblige, to necessitate either by physical or moral force. That's strong language. You know what that word compel means? It means begging somebody to come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior, pleading with somebody to accept Jesus Christ. I'm guilty of this myself sometimes, but we don't often compel them. Oh, we'll go. But do we go and compel? We talk to them, and when they say they're not interested or when they act like they don't want to hear it, we walk away and we say, well, they didn't want to hear it. I guess I did my job. We walk away and we leave it at that. 
Compelling them means we should be willing to do whatever it is that we have to do to get the message of the gospel to those lost and dying people who, if they die without Jesus Christ, are going to spend an eternity in hell. Do you realize the, the, the ramifications of that, especially for those who you know, especially for those who you love? Can you not share the message of the gospel with them for their sake? Can you not compel them to come to Jesus Christ? It's like somebody that you see is their, their, their bottom floor of their house is on fire and you see the top story is, is, is just completely engulfed in flames and you go and you knock on the door and they say, hey, your house is on fire. You need to get out. Oh, I appreciate you letting me know. Thanks. I'm not interested today. And they close the door. Well, I tried to tell them that's, that's up to them now. You're going to say, hey, do you not understand what I'm saying? Your house is on fire. You're going to die. You need to get out of that house. But how often do we do that? Hey, you know that the Bible says that, that if you don't accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're going to spend eternity now. No, thanks. I'm not interested. And they close the door or they try to close the door and we say, well, I told them it's their fault now if they go to hell. Oh, how many times we should go back and we say, hey, I've got to give you this warning. If you don't accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, your eternity will be forever in a lake of fire. I've got to warn you. I've got to tell you. Well, I told my family five years ago at Christmas one time that they, they needed to be saved and they didn't accept, so that's on them now. No, how many times? You've got to go back and go back and go back and go back. You've got to keep going, yes, but you've got to compel them to come to Jesus Christ. Jude says, and some have compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. He's saying there should be an urgency to let them know. They need to know Jesus Christ is their Savior, and you might be their only hope. How many times have you heard stories about exactly what I just mentioned, a house engulfed in flames, and somebody drives by at 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning and sees that house on fire, and they go, and they, they knock on the door, and they, they rescue that family because they got them out in time. They were the only ones that were driving by at 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning, but they did what they had to do. And they rescued that family from, from physically dying in that flame. And how many times are we the only one that knows Jesus Christ is the answer? You might be the only one at your workplace that knows that Jesus Christ is the answer. You might be the only one in your home that knows that Jesus Christ is the answer. You might be the only one in all the extended family that knows that Jesus Christ is the answer. But you have the answer. And you have a responsibility to give them that warning and to share the message of the gospel and to compel them to come to Jesus Christ. John Harper was a Scottish preacher. He was aboard the Titanic when it hit the iceberg and sank. And Harper was clinging to a piece of driftwood, as were many of the men that did not make it into one of the lifeboats. And there were people who were alive for a while after the boat actually sank. They were floating there in the water. And as he was out in the darkness, a man drifted close to him crying, and Harper shouted out to him, are you saved? Do you know Jesus Christ is your Savior? And that man said, no, I can't say that I do. And he said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And they drifted apart. And it wasn't too long uh, later that they actually, their, their pieces of wood that they were floating on drifted back closer to each other. And he asked that man again, did you accept Jesus Christ? Do you know Jesus Christ is your Savior? And again, that man said, no, I don't. And John Harper again told him, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ before it's too late. You can accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. He will save you. And not long after he said those words, John Harper slipped below the surface. And he drowned. Within a couple hours, that 
USS Carpathia came by and started rescuing many of those people that had fallen into that water. And this man was one of those who was able to be rescued. And he later testified that he was John Harper's final convert because he accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior. With his dying breath, John Harper was continuing to compel people to come to Jesus Christ. By the way, it says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved, not believe in. There's a lot of people who believe in Jesus Christ. They believe that he lived. They believe that he died on the cross. They believe that he rose again and all those other things, but they've never believed on Jesus Christ. Somebody has to be the payment for our sin. Jesus Christ was that payment, and when we believe on him and accept his payment on the cross, his death on the cross as the payment for our sin, then we can be saved. But this, this man, that's how we should spread the gospel. That's how you compel someone. As a dying man to dying men, I have to go and compel them to come to Christ. The who is you. The what is go and compel. But the third question that we have is where. Do you know why we continue to go out and knock on doors, even though we don't really see a lot of results from that? Because we're commanded in this verse, in verse number 23, go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in. Jesus tells us to go and get anyone that we can get to come. Go into the highways. That's the, that's the main areas, all the highways, the place where there's a lot of people. Go into the hedges, the small areas, and compel them to come in. That means that if God calls me to go to Africa or Australia or Mexico or Siberia, then I must go and compel them to come in. That means if God calls me to, to go to California or go to Maine or go to uh, Oregon or go to the Florida, then I have to do that. I must go and compel them to come in. If that means that God calls me to my workplace, or God calls me across the road to the neighbor's house, and I must go and compel them to come to Christ. We must go where the souls are, and that is just about everywhere in this world today. We're to compel them, first of all, to come to Christ. When we talk to someone, it's not to, it's not to try to get them to come to church, although that's a good goal. We ought to try to get them to come to church. Our first goal is to get them to Jesus Christ. And so many times, we as Christians fail in that responsibility. Hey, why don't you come to church with me sometime? Hey, why don't you come to church? Why don't you come to church? And if they come to church, they're going to hear the message of the gospel here at church. But that's the responsibility of the individual. He told the servant, go and compel them to come in, that his house would be filled. They may never darken the door of a church, but if we fail to give them the message of the gospel, they may never have the opportunity to know them as their Savior. Our first priority ought to be to invite them to come into the fold of Jesus Christ. Sure, invite them to come to church, but that ought to be a tool in your bag, not something that you're doing as the ultimate goal. My hands are clean. I've invited them to church, and they finally came after asking them so many times. No, you did not reach your goal. If they still do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior, then you have failed in being a witness for Jesus Christ. There's a lot of people who will go in a place that you ask them to go just because they're tired of you asking. They'll finally go to make you quit asking them. That didn't mean they came to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. We must compel them to come into the fold of Jesus Christ. As the good shepherd, he gave his life for the sheep, and he wants them to know him. Keep your finger there in Luke chapter 14 and, and turn over to Matthew chapter 9. We are, we are to compel them, first of all, to come to Christ. Oh, our job is not finished until we have given them the message of the gospel and given them the message of the gospel over and over and over and over. That's what compelling them is. 
But he says this in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 36, talking about Jesus. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Boy, if that doesn't describe the world today, if that doesn't describe this country today, sheep having no shepherd. Just go do what you want to do. You be you. You live your life the way you want to live your life. You find your own truth. You find your own reality. And then you go live that. You go be the best you that you can be. That's not what the Bible says. This is truth. Truth is not something that is arbitrary. Truth is not something that moves around. Truth is hard and fast. It's set in stone. And that's what the word of God is. It's not you be you. It's you be like Christ. You live his truth, not your truth. They're sheep having no shepherd. They need somebody to tell them how to get to the good shepherd. That's what they need more than anything else. They don't just need church. They need Christ. But we are to compel them to come into the house, into his house, but also to the house of God. A sheep that belongs to a shepherd is not safe if he doesn't know who the shepherd is that he's supposed to follow. If he doesn't follow the shepherd to the fold, there's safety in the house of the Lord. And that's where someone who has not accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior will have an opportunity to hear the gospel. Some have, have told me before and criticized me for preaching the gospel in a, in a church service. They said that church is not for the unsaved. It's only for the saved to be edified. And I agree with that. The saved should be edified when they come to church. But what a shame it would be if somebody came through the doors of this church building looking for answers and they didn't hear it because I was only worried about edifying the saved. And they came and looked for answers and they didn't find it here because I didn't share the message of the gospel. I'm not going to preach a gospel message every single week. But I'm going to get the gospel in there. I'm going to give somebody hope if that's what they're looking for. That would be the equivalent to a person going to a hospital because he was in tremendous pain. And the doctor saying, I, I, I'm sorry, we only work with people who are well here, right? You're going to have to go somewhere else. We only treat people who are already doing okay, right? No. The Bible says in Acts chapter 5 and verse number 42, And daily in the temple and in every house they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. They're in the temple preaching Jesus Christ. They're in the houses preaching Jesus Christ. Everywhere they had an opportunity to share the message of the gospel, they were doing it. I can tell you that we'll preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. And if you do your best to get somebody to church after you've given them the message of the gospel, they will hear the message of the gospel here. But be careful not to put that responsibility off on the church. It's our job to be a witness for Jesus Christ. Well, I invited them, and they sat through a service, and they didn't get saved, so that's not on me. That's on them. No, it's on you if you've not shared the message of the gospel with them. They need somebody personally to take a Bible and say, this is how you can know for sure that you're going to go to heaven when you die, which, by the way, it's also our responsibility to make sure we know how to take somebody through the message of the gospel. If you don't know how to do that, come talk to me. I'll, we'll, we'll do a class on it. We'll take anybody that wants to go through a class to help them learn how to share the message of the gospel. But the message of the gospel is so simple. If you're saved, tell them what happened to you. Hey, uh, uh, the, the gospel is just one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. This is what happened to me. This is where I went. This is where I found Jesus Christ and how I found him. This is how you can find him too. We're answering our questions here this morning. Who? You. Do what? Go and compel. Where? In the highways and hedges. But our fourth question then is when. Turn over to, keep your finger there in Luke chapter 14. But go to John chapter 9. 
the short answer to that question of when is now. Now. Let's revert back to our English lesson. When a command is given, when is that command expected to be obeyed? Right now. That's why it's being given as a command. Right? That's the purpose of a command. If you are given a command in the military, you have the responsibility to act on that right now. You don't get to say, okay, well, I'll do that in a week or so. When I get around to it, I'll make my bed. Try that in the military and see how that goes over for you. Right? Or, hey, this is your orders. You, you guys need to follow this out. All right, I'll, I'll read over them. I'll, I'll see. I, maybe in a week or so I'll get to it. I've got a lot of things going on in my life right now. and I'll read over those in a week or so, and then after I read them, we'll, we'll try to get some things together and see if we can't put a battle plan. And no, they give you a command. It means this is the most important thing in your life right now. Everything else that you have going on in your life just became secondary to that command. Same thing with your kids, right? When you give your kids a command, do you expect them to say, all right, when I get around to it, I'll do it? Now, I give my kids a command. I expect them to do it right now. That's, the, that's what giving them the command is, right? Do it right now. And that's exactly what God is talking about here. That's exactly what Jesus is implying when he gives us the command to go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in. John chapter, chapter 9, Jesus himself shared, us, shared with us some of that urgency. Verse number 4. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. There are people dying by the second. There are people dying by the millisecond. I've, I've showed you this before, I think. It's probably been a couple years ago, but you can, you can go on and find these world counters, the clock counters, and they have all kinds of different, you know, all kinds of different statistics. But if you look at the statistic of people that are dying right now, the number is counting so fast you can't even see the numbers moving. That's how many people are dying in this world right now, many of them without Jesus Christ. We have no time for meandering around through this world. We have to win souls while we still have the time to win them. Jesus Christ is our, uh, is our great example, and he said, I must do the work of him that sent me. I've got to do it now. Night is coming. I only have a short time left in the day. Night is coming, and I can't work in the night. I've got to work while it's day. Amy Carmichael, I know I've told you this, uh, this quote before, but Amy Carmichael said, we'll have all of eternity to celebrate victories, but only a few hours before sunset in which to win them. Boy, what a, what a poignant quote, especially for today. She said that 100 years ago, and they felt like Jesus was coming back 100 years ago, but listen, how much, how much closer is he today than he was 100 years ago? The night is far spent. The day is at hand, right? We, ha we don't have a lot of time. Who? You. Do what? Go and compel. Where? In the highways and hedges. When? Now. And lastly, the question that we answer is why? Look back at Luke chapter 14 and verse number 23. The Lord said unto his servant, go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in. Why? That my house may be filled. Wouldn't it have been nice if Jesus had chosen some other way to get the message out? Boy, it would have been great if he could just throw it up there in the clouds. You know, the clouds just form into these beautiful words, and he gives out the message of the gospel. It would be nice, wouldn't it? But he chose you and me to be his mouthpieces. We are his eyes to see what he sees. We are his, we are his hands to do what he would do. We are his lips to spread the message of the gospel. We are his feet to take the message of the gospel to this lost and dying world. Jesus Christ is not here in physical form to do that the way that he did in the New Testament. But he passed that job and that responsibility unto us. 
There is no plan B. We are the plan. He's looking for us to do that work. Now, God has two houses. The church is called the house of God. What a testimony to the power of God that his house is filled on Sundays. But he also, the Bible says, in my father's house are many mansions. He's talking about heaven. And I can say, as I do often, we're not just compelling folks to come to church. We're compelling them to come to Christ. There are millions of people that are sitting in churches across the country and across the world this morning that do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior. They might think they do. They've been duped into thinking some other, some other form of the gospel. Or they're, they're sitting there and they're feeling good about what's going on in the service and how they're worshiping and praising God and all that stuff right now, but they don't know anything about the message of the gospel. The Bible makes that very clear in Matthew. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And I will say to them, depart from me, ye that work iniquity, I never knew you. That's the people that are in church. That's the people that are going to church every single Sunday. There are many, many people who sit in church services week after week after week who still do not know Jesus Christ as their own personal Savior. Inviting the church is a place to start. Or perhaps it's another tool in the bag, but compelling them to come to Jesus Christ is what our goal is. Jesus wanted his house to be filled. The church, the church had not been established at that point, so there was no house to invite them to as it related to church. But the Bible says in John chapter 14, in my father's house are many mansions. We're to invite them to his house. He wants his house to be filled. We ought not to be just inviting people to church. We're supposed to be out the, about, about the work of populating heaven. Fritz Chrysler, not spelled like the car, it's K-R-E-I-S-L-E-R. He died in the, 19, in the 1960s, but he was a world-famous violinist. He earned a fortune with his, with his concerts and the compositions that he wrote. and He gave generously most of that money away, so he found a very exquisite violin, and he wanted to buy it, but he didn't have enough money to buy it because of all the money that he had given away. And so later, he had raised enough money to meet the asking price, and he went back to the seller hoping to be able to buy that violin. And the, the guy that was selling the violin said, well, unfortunately, I've sold it already. I sold it to somebody who is a collector. He wanted to put that violin in his collection. And so this friend, uh, Fritz Chrysler, went to where that collector was, and he said, hey, I'd love to buy this violin from you. I've had my eyes on it for a long time, and I know you bought it. I'm willing to pay more than what you paid for it to be able to have that violin. And this collector said, well, I'm sorry. Unfortunately, this is, this is my prized possession in this collection. This is, this is the one violin that I love the most, and I show it to everybody. I, it's not for sale. I can't sell it. And Chrysler said, well, if you won't sell it to me, then would you mind if I play that instrument one more time before it's consigned to silence? And the collector didn't see anything wrong with that, and so he said, sure, why not? Go ahead, take the violin out, you can use it. And so this virtuoso just filled the room up with the beautiful sounds that were coming from that violin, and he played in a way that this collector had never heard somebody play a violin before. And it was so heart-moving that this collector's emotions were, were deeply stirred. And when he finished playing that violin, he told Mr. Chrysler, he said, listen, I have no right to keep that to myself. It's yours, Mr. Chrysler. You don't owe me a dime. You take that violin out, and you let the rest of the world hear that violin. The Christian has no right to keep the gospel to himself either. What a wonderful message that is. 
And yet, though we know Jesus Christ as our Savior, though most of us in this room this morning are saved, have accepted Jesus Christ as our own personal Savior, how many of us have never shared the message of the gospel with somebody else? When is the last time you told somebody else how they could be saved? When's the last time you took a Bible and shared that message with them? Have you ever done it? You're keeping the most beautiful message that's ever been given completely under wraps. Nobody else must ever hear. No, you would never say that with your, with your lips, but with your attitude and with your heart and with your actions, you're saying, this is wonderful. I got this for myself. Nobody else is ever going to hear about this. Why? What a beautiful message. What a life-saving message we have. There are those who this Christmas holiday and this Christmas season are looking for answers, and they're depressed, and they're lost, and they're wandering around, and they're looking for that answer. You have the answer. It's Jesus Christ. Won't you take the opportunity to walk next door and tell your neighbor? Won't you take the opportunity to walk across the street and share the message of the gospel with them? Won't you take the opportunity to sit there at your desk or sit there as you're, as you're doing work with somebody else and share the message of the gospel with them? When you get together around uh, holiday dinner, Christmas dinner this year, won't you take the message of the gospel and say, listen, I know this is probably something that you've already heard or maybe even something that you don't want to hear, but I've got to tell you this. Share the message of the gospel. Hey, one of these days you're going to stand before Christ. And we're going to be judged on the things that we've done. And of course he's going to say, hey, Here's your good works and here's your bad works and all the bad works are going to be burned up and the good works are what we're going to be rewarded for and all of those other things. doesn't have anything to do with whether we get into heaven or not. But isn't our good works based on how many times we've shared the message of the gospel? Boy, isn't that something that you want to be rewarded for in heaven? How, how, how do you think you'd feel when some co-worker that you had that in 10 years you may not even still be working together with that guy, comes and wraps his arms around your neck and says, thank you so much for sharing the message of the gospel with me. Or some family member that you have, that you love, that you care about, comes and says, I'm so glad you told me how I could be saved. There's another side to that coin. Because one day, those who don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior are going to have to stand before the great white throne judgment. And one by one by one, God's going to have to say, depart from me, you that work iniquity. I don't know you. Your name's not written in the book of life. And they're going to see you enjoying heaven. They're going to see you having all of the things that you have there. And imagine the look on their face when they turn to you and they say, you knew you knew all along that this is what was going to happen to me if I didn't accept Jesus Christ as my Savior and you never told me? I thought you loved me. I thought you cared about me. I thought you had a heart for people. You always said that you did and you never told me? You went to church every single week and you acted like you were better than us and you did all of these other things and, and that's what it did for you? You never told me how I could be saved. Well, we have two, two options. Hey, they, they may not accept it. You might tell them and they might reject it. You can't make them get saved. You can't force Christianity onto somebody. But you know what you can do? 
you can tell them. You can go and compel them to come in. It's no secret that we're supposed to do what we're supposed to do when we look at it through the eyes of the five W's. Take these five W's, we can put together a pretty compelling case. You and I are to go into the highways and hedges, compelling people to know for sure that they're going to heaven and to come to the house of God so that they can be saved and so that his house will be filled. You do well at it, but maybe you can do more. You've given faithfully toward missions, but maybe you can do more. You've told people about Jesus Christ, but we can all do more when it comes to that. We, we can never tell the wrong person how they can be saved. We can never say it enough. We can never tell it enough. You've invited people to church. Maybe you can do more. Hey, let God use you to be his witness here on this earth. And I can promise you this. You'll never regret it. Oh, people might make fun of me. You'll never regret it. Oh, I'm too shy. You'll never regret it. I'm too busy. You'll never regret it. Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in. Hey, there's still room in his house. There's a lot of empty seats in this auditorium. There's a lot of empty spaces up in heaven. There will never be not enough room there. Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. What a responsibility. Are you taking that responsibility seriously? Hey, think of somebody right now that you know is not saved. And won't you share the message of the gospel with that person this Christmas season? Even if it's only one. Even if it's only one. Better than not telling anybody. Well, there's, there's thousands, thousands of people in your contact list, in your circle of influence that don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior. But pick one and go tell them. And be faithful in doing it. You'll never regret it. Boy, there's nothing like leading somebody to Jesus Christ. You ever led somebody to Christ? No feeling like it in all the world. Somebody coming to the knowledge of the truth, somebody going from darkness to light, nothing like it in all the world. Only thing you can compare it to is on the day that you got saved. And I want you to have that feeling. I want you to be able to share the message of the gospel with somebody and see them get saved. Won't you do it this year? Won't you do it this Christmas? What a great opportunity God's given us. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you so much for sharing the message of the gospel with us, for sharing your son with us. Oh, we focus on Christmas, Jesus Christ coming down and being born as a baby. That's, that's, that's great. If he was never born as a baby, he would never have been able to die. But the important thing is that he gave his life for us. And I'm so thankful for that. So thankful that you allowed me to grow up in a place where that message was preached. And I was able to accept Jesus Christ as my savior. And God, I do pray that if there is still somebody in this room this morning, maybe they've pretended to be saved most of their life. Maybe they've warmed up to the gospel but never accepted Jesus Christ. May today be the day that they come to know you as their Savior. But God, I'm going to assume that most people in this room this morning are saved. What a responsibility you've given to each one of us. 
pray that every single person in this room this morning would get somebody in their mind and then share the message of the gospel with them this Christmas season. What a tremendous thing you've done for us. Pray that you'd help us to never be so selfish that we'll not share it with others. Well, thank you so much for all that you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen. If you are